1: to this episode of property jam the podcast where we talk about everything on the human side of property and we are not alone today we thank goodness goodness. yes you don't have just have to listen to us three banging on about some human property issue we've got another perspective in the house and that perspective belongs to the one and only melkit purewall who i'm going to hand over to now to introduce himself properly hi melkit hey hey
2: everyone it's uh, Melky Purewell here um, from Savoy's Properties. I've been in property for over 20 years, and for the past 10 years, been developing HMOs, and we currently own and manage um, HMOs containing 500 tenants. That's pretty epic. That's a lot. <laughs> it's quite a bit. It's grown a lot faster than I anticipated. Oh,
1: what, what year did you say you started? You were.
2: Um, so I actually started in property back in 2001. Right. Uh, so when I was coming out of university, I, it was basically, I, I went into the IT industry because you had that big tech boom. I don't know if you recall with literally everyone getting paid so much within IT. So I changed my education from business to more computer science-based, got a graduate job, And then witnessed the the crash with um, the stock market and obviously 9-11 happened and then there was tons of redundancies. So I actually thought, well, I don't really want to end up like these guys that were in their 40s being made redundant. So I started a journey in terms of using my income at that time to procure buy-to-let properties. And yeah, I think within the first year I purchased three and then it's just gone on from there. And then I think in 2010, I purchased a HMO from an all-solb auction, and then learned how poorly it was put together and how to do it right. And then it's just been literally just going step by step from 2010 to where we are today.
0: Nice, nice, excellent. So, so um, would you say that going to HMOs was um, on purpose, or was it a bit by accident? Then
2: a bit of both. We wanted to enter and make an impact in some aspects of property in terms of new builds. You know, we were far too small, and the impact we'll make was quite poor. We knew HMOs because both myself and my business partner Sanjay had stayed in HMOs during you know, our university times, and we knew how poor they were. We saw a gap in the market with rents rising, the price of studios, you know, ending up right eight nine hundred pounds. And we saw that graduates and basically people between the ages of 21 to 35 would actually require affordable accommodation and more like an ensuite sort of studio style room and our area that we were looking at was actually lacking in that so there was plenty of dss hmos of plenty of emergency housing hmos plenty of student hmos but that was one aspect that we thought we could actually Make an impact and, and leave a mark, in, and that's uh been basically our journey just pushing on from there, trying to create homes for these people that, and yeah, just make a, a positive impact to the HMO industry.
3: Wow. Impressive, yeah. yeah. I, must I, I must admit, I never made the connection for some reason because we follow you guys obviously on Instagram and social media for ages. Um, and then we used to catch up or speak quite regularly when uh, we were doing, what was it called on that? Not social nonsense. media? Ha, that's one. And I never made the link that it was the same, same uh, company. <laughs> so it's just now today, when Matt said uh, that you were coming on, I was like, Oh, now I get it.
0: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> You've been following the, the um, social media
3: that closely then. No, well, Salah was always telling me how good they were. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Be honest, we were we were quite sort of media shy, so we we created uh, Savoy's properties back in first uh, of April 2020. And We never used our faces on it, so we were just showcasing the work we were doing. We then entered um, the property investor awards in um, I think it was the end of 2020, and we ended up winning one award. And as a result, then basically they plastered our image over social media. And then we had friends sharing it. was we okay, well, we might as well just come out now.
1: So we sort of, embraced <laughs> we're of the property it. Then, closet.
2: <laughs> yeah, so it was we were all a little a little shy and just showing what we were doing. So we were just letting our account and obviously our logo be sort of the face of it. Now it's completely changed where we're now quite open and you know doing podcasts. Obviously, we've been likes of you guys and uh, turning up to property meets and we've actually just started hosting some of our own events as well.
1: Nice. And how was that transition for you like sort of going from being I guess within the property closet for want of a better term to actually sort of coming out and being more like the face of your business like how was, did you find it hard was that strange? It has, it
2: has been because obviously when you come out then people are, oh, why don't you, I've got this property. me. Why don't you turn up? I said, okay, how many people? Well, about 80 people there. And then, you know, well, I'm not used to doing presentations. So it was uh, a lot with, you know, finding yourself. So I'm a firm believer that you've got to embrace change. So I saw these opportunities. and I, I thought, okay, let, let's go out there and let's do it. And I think with this, you never have the confidence before you do something. You always get the confidence after you've done it. So, right. and it's actually quite, a thrill to do so um yeah so we've now just been pushing ahead with that and we're actually enjoying the journey now
1: so now we can't keep you off of social media it's just literally just your face like continuing oh, well
2: thing. not quite not quite <laughs> a lot of the faces on there are a lot more but not, not as much as uh, some people
1: you know what? Though I think that's quite a, a human element of of what we do because you get a lot of accounts on Instagram where they are just showcasing, you know, probably before, during, and after projects. And actually seeing who's behind that really endears people to you. I think they're, you know, bringing that human element into your social media is a really important aspect of it, particularly if you connect that to your mission and your values around what you're doing. So yeah, no, I really think it's great.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. i What I noticed is. Like with Instagram, people want to have, they want to feel that they know you, and it's 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 like a personal thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we've had where we've turned up maybe to an event and someone comes over. I've been following you for the last two years, and you know they feel they feel that they know us. Yeah. So it's um it, it is quite nice that way. So you have that connection, and I I feel the same with some of the people that obviously we follow and we are inspired by. Um, but yeah, I'm, I guess this is the new world, and you just got to embrace it yeah yeah
0: that's, that's the thing is that it creates a point of difference and the point of difference is is you as the person you know there is only one melkit and and there is yeah, only one but there could be multiple savoys but there's only one melkit um yeah anyway. i agree so you are mm. your own your own brand your own identity so um yeah no that's it's really cool and you guys are Uh, really busy but before we get on to a bit more kind of around that uh, a question we always ask our guests when they come on uh, is what does the human side of property mean to them so how does that question what's the first thing that sparks up in your mind
2: well for us we want to create properties that we feel that we could live in if we were in our tenant's shoes so we try to put that go the extra mile compared to other people within our sector in our area where we make it a personal thing and our team that are around look after the individual so I've seen with HMO landlords in particular they've always had a bad reputation you always read about you know unlicensed HMOs and um, HMOs they've got in you know 12 people living in a six uh, bedroom licensed HMO and so on so we 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 feel that you know the, the tenants at the end are our end users, and we've got to look after them, and they deserve to live in uh, decent, affordable homes.
0: Yeah, nice. Yeah, nice. So what, what What's your um, what area you based in? Kind of where Where do you cover?
2: So we started in Uxbridge in 2010, but now we basically work on a half an hour radius driving radius of Uxbridge. So we're in places like Windsor. Ealing, Acton, um, South or Hayes, so on. But it's just basically because we've brought a, our own lettings and management team. We want to be in a situation where you can actually drive to a place relatively easily rather than losing time just being stuck in traffic. And I think if you're going to enter the HMO area, you've got to be in a position, if you're managing it yourself, where you can easily get to. So it doesn't really impact your Day to day life too much.
3: Mm-hmm. So in those areas, um, obviously London was massively impacted when lockdown hit, and everybody just pretty much left the city and ran for the hills. Would did it have a massive impact on, or any impact on your um, your properties or your rooms?
2: Um, yes and no. So the yes aspect being when it initially happened, we had we we're actually surrounded by. Um, Stockley Park, which is Europe's biggest um, business park, and Heathrow Airport, what we found was a lot of people that were actually in those business parks lost their jobs or they were told they can work from home, so they may have moved back then to Sheffield, Bristol, whatever, and handed notices when we had a lot of airline cabin crew that were staying in our properties. And they also handed lost their jobs and then they said look we can't afford to pay so we said okay look fine you know rather than having your arrears we'll we'll take this and you know you guys can leave at the end of the month but then we advertised our rooms back up what we found was because now tenants that were in these poor HMOs were unable to sort of move around as freely as possible and they were spending a lot more time they actually moved from say if they're in Uxbridge, they move from a poor HMO into our own. And then what we found was the, the number of poor HMOs actually increased in terms of coming up for sale in the market. So it's had, it's had an impact because we were focusing on a nicer environment and a nicer HMO. We actually then benefited with uh, the change of people's living requirements.
0: Amazing. That's interesting to hear people. Yeah, so these people living in poor HMOs, did you, obviously the, the price point would have been slightly different. Did you see people, uh, you know, maybe stretching their funds to be able to afford a, a a better place? Or did you maybe drop rent a little bit to attract more tenants? How did you manage that?
2: Yeah, so um, we initially um, dropped rent um, just, just to ensure that we can keep my HMOs full. But then what we found was most people were willing to pay that little bit more to to have an ensuite and a, and a nicer room. And then what we found now, since um, since the start of the pandemic to where we are today, that the actual prices of rooms and, and have actually risen quite a bit. So it's actually now very well. H, well we as as we're finishing projects, we're we're basically renting a whole house out within a week, which is. Of going to market. So, most of the projects before it's complete, we really have uh, six cents lined up to move in.
1: Mm, it's amazing. I think that's the one of the significant implications of, of, of what COVID's done, you know, like with this, this need for private hygiene spaces where yeah. you're not having to share and, you know, people are paying a premium for that. I mean, I've seen it in my portfolio too, and, you know, certainly benefiting from it. But yeah, I wonder. <clears throat> i can't see that changing can you like i can't on were always a winner anyway yeah. and that demand is only increased
2: i think it's now what, what's COVID's done is it's now um basically uh, for, well it's basically forced landlords to actually go down the on-suite route because of the demand for um it's, it's actually quite low we we found basically a lot of landlords are actually contacting us saying Look, I've got this property can you let it? It used to be let all the time, but because since since the impacts of COVID, you know I can't even get tradesmen to to stay in there. And then the type of tenants then you're you're getting into these properties now, you know, aren't probably to the caliber that you would probably want. And they're end up causing antisocial behaviour. So um, I, I I can only see it going. Ensuite, and by watching what people are doing on social media, it seems you know this is the way forward.
0: Yeah, hundred percent agree. As as you know.
1: (laughs) Oh, it's so problematic, isn't it? Though, when we describe tenants as having a caliber, like it's just, you know, it's really, it's really, really hard because people, everybody needs to live somewhere. But then, you know, we've talked about this a lot recently on the podcast where there have been challenging experiences in and around certain tenant types and you know it that that actually put your business at risk so you know it's 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 difficult
2: (laughs) I know um I know one particular landlord who runs HMOs but he basically focuses on um emergency housing right so he has two um full-time security guards changing every 12 hours because of the issues and stuff that comes with managing these type of properties, and as you said, I think everyone deserves a home, but in our opinion, we want to reduce our labor time down so we can lower the price point and pass the pass that on to the end consumer.
1: yeah, no, it's completely understandable, and I think that's really interesting actually. I've not heard of um having security
0: like manning the that, station as a property or do they go between a portfolio? So
2: no so this is dedicated on this so they've basically got uh i think maybe like a 12 bed hmo and it literally just takes people that are being evicted from council properties and they need a temporary place of accommodation and Uh. then they move into here um so it is um so what i've noticed is there's a couple of areas in high demand where you've got obviously this type of emergency housing and then you have The ones where you take maybe sort of young offenders and 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 other people with some requiring some type of help being being put into hmos and then they have a full-time carer based inside that property but there's like i said there's a market for everyone but we've decided just to focus on the the working professional you know there's
0: there's no reason why those um, I suppose poorer quality HMOs, but I suppose the ones that are aimed at emergency housing, aimed at um, social housing, you know, that those you know, facilities could be, you know, e- even putting on each in those, um, it probably helps to mitigate some of the issues, because when you, when people, when antisocial behaviour occurs, it's when people are um, kind of encountering each other. Yeah, so or i've got to share the bathroom with five other people four other people you know i can't get into have a shower um maybe i'm drunk you know? so yep. i'm a bit um yeah i could get riled up a lot quicker um so if i've got my own ensuite i can go into my own room i can you know make my own mess and then fall into bed you know this is this is probably the, my future isn't it yeah um, i agree so uh so yeah i think i think there are there, there's arguments for making but, but again, you put with that type of property you don't need to spend the earth on how you furnish it and how you design it because you're not attracting people you're just creating somewhere which is nice and feels feels safe serviceable
1: but
0: serviceable and you know and i think a security guard yeah obviously keeps some people in line but also others might feel quite reassured and safe by that to know that okay i'm in with other 11 other people that i don't know who've come from all sorts of walks of life um uh, yeah, I was having this conversation earlier, we were, we were running a deal clinic and talking about you know, why you know, we've got a, a client who's thinking about making their student HMO, which is they're struggling to rent out, into social housing because they see it as a as a way of being able to give back for homeless, essentially. Um, and uh, But they know that it's gonna increase its antisocial behavior, et cetera. And we asked the question, well, why would you want to do that? Um, and started talking about probably there's different types of homeless people there's people that are homeless by circumstance and then there's the entrenched homeless who um probably got more issues than involved be resolved in the case of just finding them a home whereas for some of them they'll be in there for a maybe a few weeks or a couple of months and because they're actively trying to find somewhere to live actively trying to find work um for whatever reason so yeah and they probably find themselves Kept in in the same types of properties as, as all, all homeless, I one would assume.
2: Yeah, we've um, we actually tried. So when we when we started off doing our HMOs, we actually tried working with the housing associations and and giving like a, a little ensuite model to them. Uh, but what we found was it didn't really work too well because you could have five decent tenants, and then one comes in with with probably either mental health or, or some drug issues. And then that whole household um, is impacted. And then you're relying on the housing association to sort it out. And then we ended up getting complaints for, from the neighbors from antisocial behavior and some fights outside and so on. Um, so we, that was basically our test case. And then we said, okay, look, I think we have best to, to stick out just the professional model because we know we can manage it and then we've got control over it um whereas when you've got some some individuals that are stuck in a room all day um and they've got some and they're you know they've got some mental health or any other issues it's um they need a lot more care
1: yeah it's true and i think you know in terms of our responsibility as ethical landlords and providing um you know, uh, contributing service to um, house tenants of that kind, it it can't just sit on our shoulders, because you have to collaborate with so many other stakeholders in order to, you know, make a a business like that work. Um, but then there is also, you know, society. I think I used to work at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine and and public health specifically. And alcohol was one of their their key research areas. And what I didn't realize is that there are right across the country. But this was in London specifically. There are actually houses or or what they call hostels for um, people who have alcohol dependency. And of course, what that means is you've got people with the same challenges under one roof being managed in a professional way so there that is right across the country so it's not just on us to or you know assume that if we don't then no one will and that leaves some destitute on the street there is social provision there however you know i know it does that that strategy does work for some people so yeah and my cat agrees with me thank you
3: yeah (laughs) (laughs) so that enjoying being back at home
1: Oh yeah so everybody um I, for those of you who follow me on Instagram you'll see that my my cat went missing um for 10 days the little bugger um yeah he um maybe he was in search of a, an HMO I don't know what he was doing shared accommodation with other cats and literally just panicked me for 10 days i didn't function very well and then just bowled in like cinderella before midnight on bank holiday monday like he'd not been away and was all like you're right what's up skinny. <laughs> yeah so i'm i'm half angry with him but half like you know in love with him so we've missed you man we've missed you anyway he's had his five minutes of fame let's get back to what we were talking about <laughs> <laughs> so
3: have you have you come prepared because i know you're very prepared for this with all the pre- uh, empted emails and everything that we sent to you. Never um, arrived, but never arrived. <laughs> but never arrived. Uh, have you got a question for us?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, it was basically in regards to we see the future of HMOs. So obviously the it's moving in a certain direction. Student HMOs are sort of declining. we' with with obviously all these purpose built blocks coming up. Do you see, where where do you see HMOs in 10 years time?
1: Still being about, I reckon. Uh, I just think in a much higher end form, but you know, we've we've talked about the need for that type of housing. Um, You know, if you think about the transition of life and life affordability. So you've got somebody who's um, no longer wants to live at home with mum and dad, they're a student, they've come home um, and they can't afford to rent by themselves. And with rental prices going up continuously and, you know, for the foreseeable, they want to be in a high end living space that gives them that sense of independence. So they have their own room and their own ensuite, but without having to pay the huge studio or one bedroom flat price tag. And of course, inevitably, that demand type is going to increase. And I think that gives it a certain level of sustainability, particularly in the uh, professional market
0: yeah I, I would agree and I know I, I somewhat disagree that student HMOs are going to die
1: agree that's my that's my uh my strategy as yeah. well Don't be telling me that Malkir that's going to upset no, me I'm, I'm
2: just referring obviously I'm quite local so I'm just looking at how things are yeah where where we yeah. are um, just 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 an example is we've got Bruno University which is uh, quite close to where I live and also the patch that we operate in they used to have I think 120 HMOs that they leased off landlords Mm -hmm. and over uh, the summer of uh, 2021 they handed 80 of them back which was a a big surprise to many of those landlords because they've been leasing those to Brunel for for, say 10 years but then they Brunel have actually invested a lot in purpose-built accommodation on campus but that's obviously isolated to this one particular area yeah
1: yeah Yeah.
0: sorry carry on that i was just gonna say i think it is very area specific um which is why people need to do their own due diligence on what's happening in that area um but even the owners of the big blocks are buying up student hmos student houses because they see that students don't just want to live in hotels yeah. they don't want to you know, live in a room with a thousand other students they actually want the experience of a, of a shared house so um i think w- but th- th- there's a there's a wider conversation about here about where the future of the rental market as we've now got um the major banks we've got pension funds we've got real estate trusts you know a lot of properties being bought up by institutions mm. um so i think what we'll see is that um that th- they will almost command the supply of of rental property to a certain extent um but and, and they'll be buying what they see as, as in demand so i think student property which is f- yeah which is in very big student areas i'll take portsmouth for example you know there's always going to be a demand for student houses in portsmouth because there's very, also very limited lands to build lots of purpose-built student accommodation mm. so that's um but the quality will change that's the the, the key thing is that um um, yeah, and um, let's take another another area like Nottingham. Again, you've got an area which is uh, re- generally the quality of HMAs is very low. The quality of student HMAs in particular, is very low, and not a lot of incentive for landlords to to increase it apart from other people coming in and and developing, which is very difficult to do in places like Portsmouth and and Nottingham because of Article Four and and other restrictions. So, I think what we'll see is HMOs becoming more restrictive to 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 create.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Which I think is um a good thing for those of us that know how to do them. Mm. Um, and therefore I think there'll be more in demand. I think the population that needs HMOs is growing. Um, the age range that needs population that, that needs HMOs is growing. Because um, of that that kind of initially that kind of 10 years is now more like 15 years where they might be living in HMOs up to the age of 30, 35 obviously we're assuming people aren't necessarily going off getting married combining resources and then be able to move out but you know you've always got this you know, increasing number of you know, the average number of average age of people living in good quality hmos and co-living especially is now kind of around about 28 29 so the that sure whole was...
1: combining of finances is also happening a lot later just generally now yeah. across the piece so i mean yeah just the whole thing just points towards that sort of high quality shared living isn't it yeah no i, I, I agree yeah. with
3: all of that i think the um the quality of accommodation has increased dramatically for students specifically as we're talking about students yeah. so that's expected so once they've gotten used to this high-end living when they move out of university and start their working career then they expect the same to move on to from uh, the professional HMO market and um, so I think there's still going to be a demand for that type of room um, the, the lower or the older properties that have been hanging around for 10 years, the landlord was guaranteed to get the rent from the university students and never really bothered doing anything with them or upgrading them or making them a bit more modern. Those are the landlords that are going to suffer. Yeah. And we always, have, when we're talking with our... Um, our people on our masterminds and everything, it's just like you should not rely on one source of tenant anyway, <laughs> because that's, that's a disaster from day one, because you don't know what can happen. And if, you, if your only source of tenant is students and suddenly the university pulls the rug from under your feet, then you're screwed, basically. Wow. Um, so it's always good to have a backup plan um, and a backup of the backup just in case. Uh, but I don't think the student HMO market is dead. I think it's dead for the shit properties. Mm-hmm. But I think for the for the good quality high end stuff, I think there's still going to be a market or a need for that.
1: Yeah, I got along with that. Yeah, I would. Yeah, good question. I enjoyed that.
2: Just What's a follow-on question. Oh, follow-on question. Um, oh. yeah. Oh. Just to follow follow on from that. When 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 we actually started with HMOs in the area that we're operating in, we were typically buying properties around 200K. This was back in 2010. That same base pro- uh, base property now is sort of 425, 450. Obviously with the build costs and everything increasing, it's now made it, making it a lot more expensive now to, to bring these HMOs to market. And then the, obviously, most people will want to refinance afterwards. And the the end value is probably going to be the same as what we probably had maybe a couple of years ago. So, do you see that having an impact on new HMOs coming to the market?
0: Oh, hundred percent. You know, we've got a mastermind of uh, clients who are itching to to buy properties, and yeah, you know, as I say, we're doing today where they're they're going and you know appraising lots of things, and then um, there's quite a lot of sticking points um, where we see that like the the as you say the GDB the end value is. Quite static. Uh, it is. It is moving gradually, but yeah, you know, the the demand for investment properties and therefore yields isn't going up as quickly as demand for residential property. So it's it's not moving, and you know there's there's only a certain kind of as as yields go down, as, as demand goes up, yields will go down. Um, there's only a certain way they'll go. You know, as people get to a certain point and go, actually, no, I'm gonna not gonna buy property anymore. I'm gonna go buy something else because it's not giving me the returns I want. Yeah, you know, as soon as you start to get below six percent kind of yields, then funds and high net worth individuals are less interested in property, um, unless they 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 want the asset um, for for long term as well. So, um, I think it's going to have an impact whereby the areas where yeah where the high yeah, it's a high acquisition cost um, like where you are you know there will be a time where you go this isn't working anymore um, we need to either move and go somewhere else um, heaven forbid if you get your eye on you know so somewhere you know um, that works again you can you can then go and, and reel it out but similarly it's a proportion it's a proportion of sales price. Build cost and, and GDB. So um, it's going to reduce supply of good quality HMOs in certain areas.
1: I think it affects the scale of what you do as well. So I think, you know, the more commercial you can make your HMO with, so it doesn't necessarily just stay on the residential side of things where the bricks and mortar valuation is obviously going to be so high risk if you've gone, you know, if you've got high acquisition, high build costs, etc. So, I I guess there's a drive to make it as commercially attractive as you possibly can. Um, But also, you know, things like planning gain strategies with, you know, assurances that you're going to get the end values that you're seeking. Um, All of that, there's an argument that you, you know, there's still a way forward with with those particular type of strategies. But still, you know, with the market, it's it's just always uncertain, isn't it? You just don't know.
3: I think that's exactly it. The market's always, there's always going to be an element of uncertainty. Um, that's the breed uh, of the beast, really. There, there's nothing that—that's kind of an inevitability when you're in property. Yeah. Um, but it's looking at, I guess, how to how to counteract that. So looking at some capital strategies as well that can help booster or bolster, sorry, the um, the the cost of refurbishment. So your capital strategy on one side to help pay for the refurbishments on the other, whilst we go through this this yeah. process. Yeah.
0: and and and, and then there will be a crash at some point and that's when things might become affordable because the the end value of the asset the gdb is probably not going to crash at the same rate as the property Mm. the the, the bricks and mortar value so Mm. again we'll get to a position where the numbers will come more in our favor to do especially that hmo style strategy so at the moment hmos are harder than they were two years ago
1: yeah
0: um for sure and i think that's that's the, the feedback that i get from majority of people uh you know they're doing it all over the country so it is harder than it was um but it's still not impossible you've got to be more creative
1: yeah that's it it's 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 kind of pressure on your you think outside the box kind of thing you know like what could you do how could you repurpose it how could you get gains you didn't necessarily expect or um yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a really interesting time to be in property. I've, I mean, I've personally never ever um, experienced a, a capital growth market, so this is the first time I've ever you know been in one. And you know, you're having to just kind of navigate your way. Plus, you've got the added pressure of the high build costs. It's a it's a very strange time, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yes. Cool. Um, where um, Where do you see the future of HMOs going? Well, I think
2: there's always going to be a future for HMOs. It's um, basically affordable accommodation for whichever tenant group you're looking at. I think it's going to be the rise in popularity of this is probably going to get a lot more. It's going to be a lot more common for someone to say, well, I live in a shared home than it is, say, say at the moment. Or even if you looked at the rise of HMOs from, say, 2010 onwards, it's it's sort of been quite a phenomenon sort of increase so and i can only just see that increasing because where we're based the base price of any housing stock is is so high Um, renting just a studio flat is sort of a thousand pounds so if you can someone that can't afford that thousand pounds per month but wants their own facilities like their own shower room and so on so they're gonna have to go down that hmo we're seeing it ourselves with the increased demand. And we also manage and lay out self-contained units. And there, if you've got, for example, a two bedroom flat or a house, the, the number of people that will be ringing for that, if you put that on the open market is is crazy. So I can see the only way is sort of HMO um, for the future. The, Yay. Only, the
1: only
0: way is HMO. Woo!
1: <laughs> Can we build that into our uh, Christmas song at the end of the year, please? Because the yeah, only way is HMO. Yeah, the, and Nile, that's your line without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: shall we? Shall we
0: do a bit of episode roulette to start up? Yes.
3: Yeah. I am primed and ready to go. So, Mark, just as a recap, and for all of our new listeners, um, we I'm going to scroll through all of our previous episodes. Um, You should stop at any point, and then whatever episode I happen to stop on, um, you give us your view on that particular topic. So, for example, we could stop on something as exciting as licensing, uh, where you can give us your view on that, or you could give us some really juicy, interesting tenant stories, as I'm sure you've got plenty of them from your management side. Um, So, I am going to scroll, and I'm starting right now.
2: Okay, stop
3: oh okay is your family invested episode number 15 so is it a family-run show or does everybody get involved with what you're doing or are you just doing it and nobody gets involved with you
2: so when i initially started off so my father played a big part in my property journey but as we've grown over the years so it's just myself and my business partner and we're treating it a lot more like a business when you initially start something off it's you know, you get all hands on deck, but then as, as you grow, and the more that you have, then you realize it actually is a business and you need to treat it as such. So I try not to, to get my father involved because his views are obviously uh, different than mine. He doesn't understand why I'm doing so many HMOs and why I want to spend so much on it. Because he sees some properties and says, well, you know. Well, you could just put some magnolia paint on there. Oh
1: God! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dad, what are you saying? And um,
3: what? And what's wrong with that? You know? Oh, so, okay. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: well, yeah.
3: magnolia
1: is the next level of HMO. We all know it. Yeah. So it'll,
3: it'll make a comeback eventually. Because <laughs> okay. uh, HMOs,
2: HMOs have actually been around a lot longer than people actually assume. Obviously, it's only with the Act, um, the Housing Act, they defined what a HMO is. Yep. Before that, it's been around for years and my father used to when used to run a HMO just by renting out individual rooms mm. like back in the 70s. So um, he doesn't really, really understand why I'm spending so much on it.
1: Did he <laughs> used to collect rent, you know, like in a cash bag? Was he one of those old school landlords that sort of would go round and... Yeah,
2: so he, he, was, he was literally... He was literally just doing that. So he used to have, like, mm. loads of keys <laughs> and his uh, sort of uh, belt and used to go around. But, yeah,
0: that's what, he, that's what he it. did, sort of, 70s. Hang on, he I don't around with a bunch of keys and a belt.
3: That's more he, like, like a jailer. Like, you know, like, um, <laughs> was they, was, was like, that, was that, was that intimidation mean.
2: tactics? <laughs> no. <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh,
2: not quite, it. but, yeah, it's... So yeah, so for him, when I take him around, he doesn't really understand why I'm
3: spending so much.
1: It's a different, budget. different generation, isn't it, of landlord there? Yeah.
3: So, but it's however. changed.
1: Yeah. So different demographic of,
3: the, of tenant as well, I can imagine.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. Before it was probably more sort sort of um, economic migrants that that would would be typically staying in a HMO. Right. And now it's now it's it's changed. So we obviously we discussed the various tenant types that are actually inclined to stay in HMOs
1: so so did your dad leave the business or was he given like a gentle nudge
2: (laughs) oh no so he's okay so I think with him I think initially obviously when I started in property I was early 20s he felt like you know he needed to sort of help out which he did like you know because when you start in your first property you're actually really physically hands-on
1: yeah
2: and then over the years then I realized that if I'm going to scale it up I need to now Obviously, get more, more, and more help on, on board. And obviously, when we started on HMOs and you're rewiring, re-plumbing, then then you actually need a um, competent team of uh, contractors and builders to be involved.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool. Okay. So, uh, quick fire one. One, yeah. one for the one for the road. Okay, I am scrolling again.
0: Whenever you're ready.
2: Malkit, no, okay. oh, sorry. Um, was this a question?
1: Yeah, another question. You've got to say stop when ne- uh, it now scrolling. Okay,
2: yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's fine. All right, I fell asleep. I was bored yeah, too. True, it's been scrolling.
3: God there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have landed on episode seventeen: guilty pleasures.
1: Now, this I want to know, Malkit. What is your guilty pleasure? And this could be in property or in life generally.
2: Um, well, I, my guilty pleasure. Well, I'm I'm actually um I used to watch uh, uh property ladder with Sarah Beanie. Um, <laughs> and um yeah, and Jen, she said she mentioned, you know, once once you start doing property, you actually get the property bug. Mm-hmm. And and I I didn't really understand it, it's only once you actually start in property, you actually do have a property bug. And you know, you you actually once you start a project and you finish it, you actually missed. The whole thing so it just is part of the reason why it's become a business
3: hmm. yeah
0: yeah
3: yeah
0: brilliant so um that's your guilty pleasure do you still do you can <laughs> watch reruns
2: um i used to just um was it uh, uk gold where, where they would play it so i, I used to but the, the problem now is we're quite busy with day-to-day and then you know commitment and obviously i've got a young family so it's hard to take time out just for tv so you know we've tried to focus on work and family and then any downtime then yeah some tv and uh selling sunset and all the rest of it <laughs> oh
1: my god are you watching that i see everyone keeps telling me to, to watch it i can't bring myself to...
0: no i can't bring myself to watch it either no, i have to say i, I can't it... watch tv shows about property
1: no it's so weird it's like actually like the last it feels like you're just in the office so, i like, doing work it's just not
0: it's, uh...
2: the the properties that they have on there are actually amazing you know like basically the hills and like you know you take some inspiration and well I'm going to be doing uh, my own personal project uh, next year where we 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 buy a property and you might sort of make it give it the wow factor as a family home so I'm trying to just pick up ideas
1: so you're going to have like infinity pools like where do you live the whereabouts are you
2: so I'm in, H- I'm in Hillingdon at the moment. But so in
1: Hillingdon, are you going to have like an infinity pool with like sort of just like a chandelier? No, 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 no. That none, none of
2: that. Um, <laughs> I'm actually looking at uh, doing a new build project. Okay. Uh, we yeah. So it's, it's always been on my bucket list to build my own home. Cool. So maybe in uh, just outside of Hillingdon, so moving into the home counties. And home. That's exciting. And
1: yeah, that's
2: the aim. So just in line with uh getting some new space and then obviously my son will be changing schools cool. around that time and I think I'm a firm believer that change is actually good in life so uh, yeah try to embrace it
1: good on yeah. you yeah yeah good luck with that that's really exciting yeah, thank you
0: well thank you Malkit for being with us today uh we've kind of come to the end of our time together so if anyone wants to reach out to you what's the best way of getting in touch
2: okay so we're most active on Instagram so which is Savoy's Properties, and. It, if you're not on that particular platform, then we also use LinkedIn and you'll be able to find us on there by typing to voice properties also.
0: Fab. Perfect. So, thanks again. And um, we'll wrap it up there. So it's a goodbye from me. It's a goodbye from me. It's a goodbye from me. It's a goodbye from me, goodbye from me as well.